Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Let me tell you a little bit about Bet Online. It remains your number one spot for NBA, MLB, MMA, boxing. It doesn't matter. Every single prop, every single play, every single point, it's all at Bet Online. When it comes to bets, when it comes to props, everything that you need is at your headquarters for sports betting. That's Bet Online. Head to the website right now, use your mobile device, sign up, get a 50, that's 50% welcome bonus. Don't forget to use the promo code BLEAV, that's BLEAV, to get yourself a 50% welcome bonus. Come on, there's no need to hesitate. Bet Online, where the game starts. I hope you're ready to have your mind blown with the greatest health and fitness information on the planet. <laughs> yes, bitch! Welcome to the Mikey Likes You podcast. I am Mikey, who does the liking, and you are you who is liked. Today, an exciting episode, a Q&A episode, which means you provide Q, I provide A, and uh, that is answer. I need Mike Viagra. No, no, no. First and foremost, thank you to Bet Online. Thank you to all my patrons, especially you guys on the top tier. You really make the, the show a reality and make it so that I don't have to be kind of desperate when it comes to finding advertisers. I still want to find more. I'd still like to make more money. But it does give me a little bit of a margin to um, make the show be exactly how I want it. And that's really, really important, and it means a lot to me. And also, I really, really like doing the patronage. When I first started getting into personal training, it was by necessity. And back when I was doing it, you know, in the early 2000s, I had – uh, four jobs and I was still making like 20 grand a year and I had a hard time getting by and I had this weird skill and so I found out you can make your own schedule and and train people and make money and so I started doing it but I did not like doing it because I did not have a lot of like highly motivated clients I had one guy I had one guy he was a marine oh this dude had the worst job everyone out there if you're you come home every day from work and you feel really um, deflated because your job is killing you. Trust me, you do not have the worst job. This dude had the worst job ever. He was a United States Marine. Thank you so much for your service. Thank you to everyone uh, in the United States military for all that you do. But this guy, this was 2002, 2003, and he was a Marine, and he was an older fella for, 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 for serving at that time. He was in his like mid-30s. So what he did was during that second Iraq invasion was he would travel around Southern California with American flags in his trunk and a little list. And he would go to households and say, I'm sorry, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, but your son has been killed in action. And then that was his job. And he would come to show up to train and it just looked like a man who had been dragged through hell because he had been dragged through hell. That's the guy. I, I, ever since then, I was like, man, no, I know what the worst job is. Go around and tell parents that their their son is dead. Uh, anyway, that <laughs> I digress. Um, anyway, so uh, I, I did not personally, I didn't like that. I didn't like and I never thought I, oh, I'm going to make a career out of training. But doing it now in the way that society has changed, in the way that you can do it kind of via the internet doing it digitally it, it affords me the luxury of having people who go already right out of the gate these are super motivated people that really want to make a change and it's been such an amazing experience to try to just be useful to those people who really desperately want to make the change and they want to stop spinning their wheels so that's an availability for you, if you're interested, at my Patreon, I'll put the link in the show notes. And then also thank you to those people who have already signed up because it means a lot to me and I enjoy um, uh, working with all of you. And uh, today's a Q&A episode. And oh, uh, also, thank you again to Giorgio for helping me make this uh, podcast a reality. And um, it's a Q&A episode and I solicited for questions on my Instagram profile, at Mike Catherwood and at Mikey Likes You One. Um, and I've got some good questions, so I'm just going to answer those, okay? Here we go. Uh, Gravy Will 
Oh, gravy, Will. Thanks to your advice, I've reached five reps of 65-pound weighted chin-ups. I'm around 175 pounds. Wow, that's that's actually really impressive because I'm about 175 pounds. And, uh, yeah, I could dust off five reps with 65 pounds, but that that's hard. So good for you, man. Um, I'm curious if you recommend mixing up grips. For instance, wide pull-ups with weight. The chins have been great for biceps and back activation. It's a very good question because obviously there's a variety of, you know, chin-up, pull-up, different grips, different widths, and things like that. I recommend when it comes to progressive overload and getting bigger and bigger weight, I like to relegate that to narrow or shoulder-width chin-ups. Because you are in a position, a strength position, and it's not going to provide potentially dangerous situations to your shoulder girdle, your elbow, and whatnot by adding more and more weight. You just fail. You know, the other day I put up a video I could show you right here where I tried to do 212 pounds of added weight to my body weight, and I didn't I didn't get it. There's no downside. I just got about halfway up, and I was like, ah, this isn't happening, and I, and I dropped if you put an exorbitant amount of weight with this grip facing away the the, the traditional pull-up grip, that's going to put an undue amount of stress on your uh, on your shoulder girdle. And uh, so I do recommend doing pull-ups. I do recommend doing wide grip and things like that, or or narrow grip or V-bar grip. I just don't recommend adding weight to those. I know a lot of people, very successful, very strong, very fit people who do do weighted pull-ups. I just don't think, like even really strong people, they're adding 25 pounds when they're doing those weighted pull-ups for one reason. You're not at a very uh, advantageous mechanical position with your palms facing away from you. Whereas when you're doing a chin-up, you can, you can really bolster that and go with the strength. One thing I will say is that if you're really, really invested in being a great deadlifter, let's say you're a competitive power lifter, you will probably start using the mixed grip because once you get to a high enough weight, your grip will fail before your upper back and your hamstrings and your glutes, the main drivers of the deadlift. So power lifters oftentimes incorporate that mixed grip. If you are a competitive power lifter, doing weighted chin-ups with that mixed grip that you would do your pull-ups or your deadlifts with is a great idea. Outside of that, though, I don't see much advantage to mixing up your grips when it comes to weighted chins and pulls and things like that. I, I say stick with the chin. Um, but again, I do know people who do a lot of weighted pull-ups, uh, but uh, even the super strong ones are always doing kind of marginal amounts of weight for one reason and one reason alone. It's like, do you recommend adding a, a bunch of weight to barbell curls? No, because even in the best of circumstances, you're in a really, really uh, vulnerable position with a barbell curl, right? With your shoulder, your elbow tendons and things like that. So I, you know, that's more of a, uh, an exercise where you kind of want to feel that contraction. And to me, the same thing goes with a pull-up, um, grapplers, wrestlers, uh, any athlete of a strength sport doing high rep pull-ups is a great idea. Doing gi pull-ups, doing towel pull-ups. You're getting a great progression of pulling that and building up strength endurance in that vertical pull that's a great idea but adding the weight it starts to get a little different uh let's see here best strategy for getting back into working out after an injury from sydney phillips should you just start light and work your way back up or wait as long as you can before before starting to work out again also an incredibly good question and it makes a lot of sense asking that Last thing you want to do if you've incurred an injury is you feel depressed, you feel bummed because you can't train. That sucks. No one likes that unless you're full-on couch potato and it gives you an excuse to, to be a couch potato. But if you're someone who really enjoys uh, exercising and working out and getting fit, being sidelined by an injury is horrible. I do think the worst thing you can do is re-injure yourself. Okay. We've established that. I don't know if there's going to be anybody who's going to disagree with that take. But I don't think just being a big sloth-like pile of shit until you're fully healthy is the right route. Because movement is medicine. Movement encourages recovery. Movement encourages recovery not only of your whole system, but of said injury. Are you going to be able to squat right out of the gate if you have a busted knee? No, 
probably not a good idea. Are you going to be able to chin up and, 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 and curl and bench press if you have a busted elbow or a busted shoulder? No. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't be moving it through the planes of movement that you want to start moving it. If you have an injured knee, probably heavy barbell back squats a bad idea, but that doesn't mean that bodyweight lunges are a bad idea. It doesn't mean that step-ups or the step mill is a bad idea or knees over toes guy, the split, knees over toes split squat. Um, my point being is that getting your affected area back into movement and doing it with frequency to to the level that it can be tolerated. If you have a busted knee, don't push it to the point that it, it hurts, but find the movements that you can do that will put it through those useful planes of movement and, and do that a lot. That's a better way than just allowing it completely to rest until you can't uh, move it again, uh, until you can uh, go full bore. Injured pitchers do not just rest their their elbow or their shoulder when they get injured or they get Tommy John surgery. They're constantly doing like band work and things like that. They're not whipping 95 mile an hour fastballs until they're capable of doing so, but they're doing, like I said, band work and physical therapy stuff constantly to try to rehabilitate that injured area. That is the most therapeutic thing you can do. Movement is medicine for everything that we do. So you slowly build, as soon as you can, you slowly build and add more and more resistance or more and more activity to that area until you're capable. Uh, 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 baseball pitcher is a perfect example because they're constantly riddled with in injuries. They start with physical therapy type stuff, band work. Then they work to the point where they could do long toss. Then they work to the point where they can throw batting practice kind of level. Then they finally get it and they rehab it to the point and they go to double A and they're throwing innings. Then they throw a couple more. Then they work back to triple A. Then they get an inning or two in relief. Then they're back to starting pitching. You know what I'm saying? So the one thing they didn't do is just go home and drink beer until it's time for them to be back in the starting rotation. Uh, Sean, not Sean. Not Sean. Pre-workout powders. Are you a fan? And if so, any recommendations? I'm on the coffee plus ripping a heater plan before hitting the gym right now and thinking about switching it up. Thanks, as always, you live. My only concern with pre-workouts is that people lean on them too much. Once it becomes this kind of lifestyle crutch, that's when I start to worry. Because a pre-workout should be relegated to doing just that. Something that you take right before you're about to engage in incredibly exhaustive or incredibly focused training. But then you get to people who are like taking their pre-workout three times a day just to wake up in the morning or blah, 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 blah. And you have, to, you have to remember the central nervous system is a unit in and of itself and it can be drained. I think a lot of hippie, holistic kind of health people have it all wrong about like draining your adrenal glands. That's not necessarily what goes on. But what does happen is your parasympathetic nervous system, you want to maximize your ability to be in a relaxed, non-fight-or-flight state so that when you are purposely engaging in fight-or-flight, you can really key yourself up and make that even more potent. If you're constantly flirting with being in the fight-or-flight state, that's going to detract from your ability to kind of hit a peak when it's time to go. Um, so I like pre-workouts if you can use them with discipline. If you're going to go do cardio, if you're going to go do some aerobic stuff, if you're going to go do, um, an arm workout, don't take a couple scoops of pre-workout. If you're going to do your squats, if you're going to wrestling practice, go ahead. Just my point being is like, use it for what it's, think about it like, um, I always say, like Percocet, here's a perfect example. I mean, this is obviously a much darker example, but Percocet or, or, or morphine. If you are taking Percocet because uh, you're a cop and a criminal shot you in the leg, I really recommend taking Percocet, and I think it should be done. If you are taking Percocet so that you can go out on Friday night with the boys and have a couple beers get a little added fun, that's not a good, that's a terrible idea. And what will happen is when you then do go take it to deal with the immense pain of, uh, you know, tearing your labrum or, or, or get, you know, breaking your femur, it makes it less effective. 
The same thing goes to a much, obviously a much less important extent. The same thing goes with pre-workouts and stimulants and stuff like that. If you're constantly taking it just so that you can get out of bed in the morning, it's not going to make it as effective when it comes go time because internally your system doesn't, it starts to lose sight of when it's go time and when it's just, I need to get through my day to live a normal lifestyle. You should be living majority of your life in a relaxed parasympathetic state. And then when you choose to have that focused moment of pushing it, that's when you want to lay it on thick. Uh, any recommendations, by the way? Yeah, first attachments. I mean, yes, I, I work with them, but they make the best pre-workout I've ever had. Besides maybe back in the old days, that old um, Jack 3D. Yes, the Giorgio's making the old Jack... Oh. The old Jack 3D before they outlawed whatever the hell was in it that made it fucking uh, like it was a a scoop the size. It looked like something they measure uh, uh, like in the Manhattan Project that they measure uranium with. It was like and you take it and you're like, ah, pulling your hair out. I'd go and just rip deadlifts like Ronnie Coleman. Yeah, buddy. Um, But besides that, they make something called the WTF Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. Um, I'll put a link to it in the show notes below. Remember to use the code Mike10. Um, they make an incredible pre-workout because Justin is a genius. And Justin is not just some guy who uh, puffed up and did a couple cycles of steroids and now is going to go around making products for people. He knows what high-level people need, high-level athletes. In. And so it does have a nice little dose of caffeine a nice little dose of tea cream which is similar to caffeine in the way that it works as far as cognitive ability and and brain focus but it is not a stimulant so people like to mix the tea cream with the caffeine so you can have less caffeine and get even more of an effect right it also has things like uh, ashwagandha and l-theanine and they're added in there to kind of help you balance out the buzz of stimulants so you don't get this immense like sting uh, skin tingling buzz that's unregulated by other things that are going to help you uh balance that out and kind of harness it for what you uh want to use it for it kind of keeps your brain a little bit more level it's like uh doing a bump and then smoking a joint they have put in the l-theanine and the, and the uh ashwagandha to help kind of give your um give your system the ability to have a more balanced and focused approach when you're going to hit it hard. So I do recommend that a lot. There are, there are also other really good uh, pre-workouts out there, but that one to me is, is the best I've ever seen. Um, let's see here. Severn, seven, seven, I, I ask seven. I ask, We'll go with that. Would you ever like to be on an episode of Hot Ones, especially if you teamed up with Dr. Drew? Yeah. Hot Ones is huge. I'd like to do it because I like the guy who hosts it. He's, he's very good at his job. I think the show's fun, but it's also huge promotion. Uh, I don't think I'd ever be asked to be on Hot Ones, but if they did, I would say yes. Would I want to do it with Dr. Drew? No. Here's why. Dr. Drew is so tough with his ambition, his discipline. He is he is iron mind. But with little things in life, he's the biggest pussy that's ever like like seriously the biggest gigantic gaping pussy that's ever lived for things like uh uh a uh, uh, a small cut or he and he, he what he is is he's he's a worry wart. I remember we were on Loveline one night. And his son, all three of he has triplets. All three of his kids are awesome, great people. But one of at this moment, his triplets were all in college, and he started texting Doctor Drew, his son, and he was telling Doctor Drew about all these symptoms he was having. He's like, "Yeah, I got this sore throat. It just doesn't seem to go away." And um, and also, like, I feel like the the phlegm is kind of like sticking in the back of my throat. On it, I can't hawk it out. And and Drew's reading this. And I'm just watching him get more. He's sweating. His fucking head is turning white. And we go to commercial break. I go, what the fucking problem, dude? 
He's like, Douglas is, uh, he's dying. And, you know, he's starting naming all these fucking, he has Huntington's disease. He'll probably be dead soon. And I'm like, dude, Drew, what's, what are you talking about? And he's showing me these texts. I was like, man, slow your roll. You probably know too much. You're just worrying. For Sure enough, he had mono. Kid had mono. Drew was like, and labeling all the different forms of cancer that this 19-year-old kid had. Uh, so my point being is that Drew gets in his own head. He's very nebbishy with things like that. Alternative, he's very, t- Drew's a very tough guy. He's iron-willed when it comes to, like, getting the shit done. But when it comes to, like, little things and things affecting his body, like spicy food, it would be a disaster. The first little thing Dr. Drew tasted, he'd be like, I, I, that's it. No, we have to go. We have to leave, Mike. No, I'd be like, whoa, you just pump your brakes, buddy. But I would like to be on Hot Ones. <sighs> this is a good question. Luke Scholar. You could tell this man is, in fact, a scholar when you hear this question. Do the farts push out the poo, or do the poo push out the farts? I feel like it depends on the situation. Because I've definitely had to go poo. And then when I got to the toilet, poo came out. But then... In the process, many farts came out. But I've also, like most men, thought I had a nice fart and it turned out to be poo. And then my whole day was ruined. So I do think it's like it's like a line at Disneyland. Sometimes the fart get in, gets in line before the poo. And sometimes the poo gets in line before the fart. You don't know. Your butthole is just the guy taking... The ticket at the at the at the amusement park ride. KP kicks. Are you open about your recovery with your daughter? If so, how old was she when you started that conversation? That's also a very good question. I am. I'm open in the sense that I don't lie to her about why I don't drink or do other things like a lot of adults around her do. She's not in, in, I mean, my daughter's not like, you know, in the, the mamas and the papas. She she didn't grow up like Drew Barrymore where she's constantly, you know, surrounded by hedonism. But, but, you know, we'll have barbecues or we'll go to a kid's party and a lot of the adults are drinking wine and beer or maybe having a cocktail. And she kind of caught on. She's like, how come you don't ever drink that? Um... And I told her, I said, because I can't, I used to, and I can't do it because I can't control myself. Uh, And I was very straightforward with her. I didn't necessarily get into the genetic components and it's a disease. I go, you know how I, the first time I had the conversation with her, I said, do you know how some people, we always talk about like ice cream and cake and stuff it's delicious and you should be able to have it but some people can't control it they eat they eat too much they can't stop eating it and she said yes i said your father's that way with alcohol there's nothing wrong with having alcohol especially like all these people i they can control it they go they have one beer or they they have a couple glasses of wine with dinner and they and they're fine and someone else will be driving and they can get i can't i put it to my lips and it goes okay i can't control i can't stop myself and it gets me into a lot of trouble and because of that i made the conscious decision to not do that Um, and, uh, and that was that, you know, she was probably five, six years old. So I didn't want to elaborate and get into, it's like, and I almost threw my life away. And then there was this time I went to jail and then this guy broke my nose and then, and and grandma and grandpa were really disappointed in me and they had to kick me out of the house or I didn't have to get too far down. I just gave her the basic nuts and bolts about what alcoholism was and why I am the way I am and why I choose not to drink. I don't know what that conversation will be like when she's 16 because she's nine now. And I probably had that conversation with her, like I said, when I was five or six. When she's 15, 16, and she's actually faced with the idea of actually drinking alcohol herself, it'll probably be a different conversation. I don't know how I'm going to handle it, but one thing I do know is I don't want it to seem like, hey, because I am the way I am, you should never drink. But I also don't want to give her this impression that 
because I did all of this horrible shit, you're now free to go do whatever the hell you want because I, who am I to tell you how to live your life when I used to get on my hands and knees on shag carpet in strangers' houses looking for crack rocks? Uh, there, there's got to be some healthy middle ground where I don't encourage her to kind of flex those hedonistic muscles but also give her a realistic understanding of the fact that, yeah, you know, you came from my genetics and there's a there's a good possibility that you might not be able to control your drinking or your drug use or whatever it may be. I don't know how I'll handle that. I'll cross that bridge when I get there. The bridge I have crossed so far is that I was just very honest. I was like, I, I don't, all these other guys... They're drinking alcohol, and alcohol in and of itself is not a bad thing, except for people like your father who can't control it. Ardoza13. What are the top three things you miss most about SoCal? Top three things you like about Texas. Top three things I miss about Southern California. Jews. Uh, and I'm not even making a joke. Uh, I, don't, I, I miss Jewish delis. I miss kind of Jewish culture and stuff. I, I do. Uh, where I live in central Texas, in, in like the Austin area, it's incredibly diverse. There's insanely good uh, sushi. I, I've, I, I go to an, a banging Korean barbecue. Um, there's a ton of like uh, Indian, um, Sri Lankan, Pakistani culture out here. Like that area of Asia is like really well represented out here. Um Clearly, all forms of like Central American and, and Hispanic, you know, Mexican. Uh, all, I don't, I, I'm not longing for that type of stuff out here. The Jews have not got a big stronghold in Central Texas yet. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I miss that. I, I miss, you know, canters and murals of Sandy Koufax and and going to family friends bar mitzvahs and blah, blah. And I miss locks and, and good deli food and great bagels. I do. I miss that. Um, I miss the Dodgers and Lakers lately more so the Dodgers. <laughs> um, and, uh, okay. Here's another thing that I was thinking about that I miss a little, and it, it, uh, these are not things that are like all that powerful and important. But I miss car culture. There's great hot, there's like hot rods and and obviously there's an amazing truck culture here in Texas. A lot of people with a lot of awesome trucks and people are into it and they like to talk trucks. I miss low riders. I miss muscle cars. I miss old, you know, like old slammed a bodies and 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 bike culture. There there was such a thriving and it may have been just. Um, by virtue of the the crew I hung with, but like the the classic motorcycle and cafe racer and and vintage Harley and and hot rod and muscle car and low rider and that culture of Southern California, it's uh, to me it's second to none, um, and I miss that. You know, just being, uh, I think people, you can be a car guy or a car gal, and I I remember very clearly I went to see training day when it came out it was 2001 something like that right a long time ago i went to see it in the theaters with people who in new jersey with people who are from new jersey and philadelphia that that area and we got out of the movie and we were having coffee and they were talking about how like whoa what a what a great film and denzel's good and they're like i found it's it's like people don't really drive cars like that though right I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, 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 you know, the cars with like hydraulics and, and, and Dayton's and stuff like that's just, that's Hollywood. I was like, uh, no, no, there's, there's cruise nights all over, especially in like the ethnic neighborhoods of Los Angeles, like Whittier Boulevard and Compton Boulevard, like they have cruise nights weekly where people just go and they drive their cars back and forth and people converse and talk. It's an, a huge part of the culture in, and, um, I do. I miss that. What are the three things, top three things I like most about Texas? A, number one, with with a bullet, the people. People in Texas are 
it's it's just easier. And I and I don't think I'm not one of those people who are like New Yorkers are mean. People in Chicago are mean. People in LA are they're not as nice as people in the South or the Midwest. I don't think that's the case. What I think happens is that if you are a wash in a sea of human beings constantly, you go into the liquor store to to get a a pack of cigarettes or you go to fill up your gas tank. You stop by uh, the donut shop on your way to work, whatever. And there's 48 people in there and the line is 15 minutes long. Everywhere you go, you naturally, you're going to the supermarket. You're it, There's 3,000 people inside the supermarket. At 10 o'clock at night in, in New York, LA, uh, Chicago, Miami, you know, I think you naturally draw up this big barrier where by virtue of just having to survive in that environment, you become more closed off to people around you because you're constantly surrounded by people. You don't get what you get out here in places where things are really spread out and the population is much lower, where random strangers pretty off, pretty, probably daily tell me, like, good morning. And I'm like, ah, uh, hi, random stranger. Good morning to you. Hope you have a good day. You too. I'm sitting at a bus stop the other day. Waiting for my Uber. There was a bus stop for people waiting on the bus. I was sitting at said bus stop because it was covered in an awning. So I was in the shade because it was like 119,000 degrees. And I was sitting there and I just had this like in-depth conversation with these random people around me. And then my Uber came and they're like, nice to meet you, Mike. You have a great day. And I was like, you too, random people that I've never met before in my life. I hope you have a fantastic day. And they seemed really sincere about it. And everybody had a smile. Everybody. And uh, my wife broke down. When we first moved here, my wife broke down on the side of the road. And we have a 79 Jeep. And a 50-year-old, it's as old as me. Where I was born in 79, just like our Jeep. When something's that old, it breaks down. Uh, a random tow truck driver in the time she called me, she goes, what should I do? I said, I'll call AAA. Tell me where you're at. In that time that she called me and I had to go back with my AAA and call on the phone and then she texted me again. She said, don't worry about it. This tow truck driver just picked me up. I go, what the fuck do you mean a tow truck driver just picked you up? Some tow truck driver who got off work was driving home in a tow truck and saw her and he's now off the clock and he's like, yeah, I live close by. Let me, I know a guy who works on classic Jeeps. He's, he's good with, uh, you know, late seventies cars. And he just gave and didn't ask for any money or anything. And I went and picked up my wife at this mechanic and everyone was just like, yeah, oh, it's all good. You know, but what are you going to do? I saw you're down on your luck. And that's a, that shit doesn't happen in a place where there's 14 million people and everybody's kind of got to get to where they got to go. Like I said, I don't think it's because people who live in urban areas are like less nice. I think it's just like you can't do that. You can't you can't live your life with taking breaths in between because everyone's like fucking got it. And you're on the 405 freeway like, oh, my God, I left two hours early. I'm going to be 45 minutes late. This is fucking terrible. And you see a guy broke down on the side of the road. And you're like, I sucks for you. I got to go. People here are just like. I can't tell you probably two dozen times in the three years, two years I've been living here. Neighbors come. One of my neighbors, an electrician. He just came over and fixed the, the electric electrical problem I had in my well house. He didn't ask for any money. He didn't even ask if he could come over. He just heard from his wife that my wife said that the electricity broke down in our well house. And next thing I knew, there's a dude there fixing it. I was like, hey, thanks, dude. And and, and a, a guy who's a retired contractor lives down on, on my street. And he's helped me. He's been indispensable. He's a, he's a, I literally said, I was like, Clyde, you got to let me pay you some money, dude. You've been you've breaking, breaking your back, helping me out here. He's like, you know what? I'll tell you what. There's one thing you do for me. My wife hates those John Wick movies. This is a true story. My wife hates them John Wick movies. Says they're too violent. And I know that the fourth one just came out. You, you take me out on a date. We'll go see that John Wick movie. We'll call it an even. And we went and saw John Wick. <laughs> that was that was the that was his so the people the people is the number one thing that i miss uh that i love about texas number two thing is that and i don't want to get political it's not my bad i i love one of the reasons why i think america is the greatest place in the world is because everyone can have their wacky fucking political feelings and no one should be able to tell you shit about it I don't care if you're a Marxist. 
If you think that Vladimir Ilyich Lenin is the greatest political mind in the world, this is your spot. And you should feel free to feel that way and tell everyone in the world about it. I don't care if you think Ronald Reagan is the greatest human being that's ever walked the planet and there's never been a better time than 1955 America. I don't care. You should be able to feel that way and express yourself. So I don't want to get political about it. But one thing I will say, and I grew up my whole life. I spent my whole life. I've lived random places, but I majority of my life has been in Los Angeles. But it's a very liberal place, right? California's known. It's, it's the kind of the more advanced, forward-thinking, progressive place where they're constantly testing out less traditional ways of political and social living. Recently, I'm going to say in the last 10 to 15 years, it seems like that is the only way to live your life in Southern California. Not not so much Orange County. Let's just say L.A. County. Meaning that if you're anti-Trump, which is awesome, be anti-Trump. That's your business. It seems like there was a lot of people who wanted to make sure that you also had to be that way or else. There was a, there would be constant open conversations and protests about like just the virtue of like, if you don't agree with abortion, you better keep your fucking mouth shut. Right? In, in LA. Out here, clearly people are a lot more uh, pro-life, but no one tells you. I think that there's this false idea that like you drive around in the state of Texas and there's billboards and a bunch of fucking people wearing crosses going like, you're going to hell, sinner. Like, that's just not the way it is. There's a lot of churches out here and there's a lot of right wing people. There's a lot of like, let's go Brandon bumper stickers and shit. But my point is like, no one, no one talks to me about politics at all. I live my life and people are like, you, you want to, you, you want to be a woman? Oh, go ahead. All right. This is your, uh, I'm going to go back to my house. Like, no, no, everyone's a, the kind of traditional ethic of Texas being this place for freedom. They really stand behind that. They're like, hey, what you do on your land, uh, that's your business. Just don't come on my land because I'll probably shoot you. That's my land. That's your land. You do your thing. I'll do mine. And and it's like, don't tread on me. The, 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 that notion is very, very true. It's very true out here. And absolutely, look, there's a lot more right-wing uh, thought. There's a lot more right-wing uh, activity. Everyone has guns out here. And, like, I, that may rub certain people the wrong way. I'm not a – I'm a pro-gun guy. So, you know, I, ne I never had any problem adjusting that. Uh but it seems to me, and maybe it's just my experience, and I'm naive with a lot of stuff because I have to be very honest. By and large, people are really nice to me on my whole life. People bitch and moan about Twitter a lot. And I go, oh, yeah, it's, it seems pretty corrosive. And I just keep my mouth shut because I was like, man, people have always been pretty nice to me on Twitter. People have always been pretty nice to me when I meet them in person. You know, I I have celebrity like real celebrity friends who are like, oh, it sucks. I can't go out in public because then people would say this and that. I go, oh yeah, that's got to be terrible. And in my mind, I was like, man, I go to like a Pennywise concert and people treat me like I'm like a god. And people go, to, I go to the Dodger game. I went back back uh, to L.A. like three weeks ago. My daughter and I went to the Dodger game, and like ten people came up to me and they're like, Psycho Mike, what's up? And they high five me and just like, oh. I, I, Big fan. Like, everyone's, by and large, in my life, I, I can't think of many op, uh, situations where people have been outwardly mean to me. So I know I'm probably naive. But it doesn't seem like people want to impose their way of thought out here. Besides, maybe the government, I mean, I understand, like, Governor Abbott may want to, but the people, by and large, don't. Now, also... I may be giving off a false impression of what I saw in Los Angeles because I and my wife work in the entertainment industry. And people in Hollywood definitely have no problem telling you exactly how you should live your life. Uh, so I, But I got an ass full of it, and it got really bad after Trump got in office, and it got even worse when COVID happened, where I would go to, like, my therapist, and the first 40 minutes would be about how Trump is Satan and, and people who own guns should be locked up. And I'd be like, wait, man, what the fuck? I'm going to shut your ass up. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm not saying, and by the way, they, this has no bearing on whether or not I agree with those people. My point being is that you just got a lot of ass full of other people telling you how to live your life as a grown adult. And out here, no one tells you shit. 
No one tells you shit. You may you may open up to them about ideas and they'll give you that. Uh, but it's not unsolicited. That's not the way shit works out here. And um, I think more so than anything that the song, like Try That in a Small Town, what's that fella? I know he's like blowing up the charts right now and all the view and everything said it's like the most racist song and shit. Anyway, it's a, it's a, it's like, I think like the number one song in the country. And it's like, you try that in a small town or some, I think that's more what it's about than Oliver Anthony. Is that, I think that's more what it's about than people think it think it's about like racism or like shooting people. What I think it's about is that idea of, People, especially wealthy people, especially successful people in larger coastal towns, feel like they're not only entitled, but obligated to impose their ideas on other people. And in a small town, that does not seem to be the case. You know, I just, no one, and there's some surly dudes out here. There's some surly ladies. But no one wants to make you change your shit. It's just like, stay out of my hair and I'll stay out of yours. Let's all have a happy life. And that is something that I greatly appreciate. The last thing that I love about Texas, and I have to use a analogy, or actually an anecdotal story. In Venice Beach, California, where I spent the, la- the majority of my adult life, it's very a lot of crime. There's a lot of homeless people. There's a lot of sketchy looking people because uh, it, it is per capita got to be like the biggest homeless uh, population in the country. You know, I know Berkeley's up there. Uh, Austin's getting there. But Venice is very small and it's like a lot of homeless because it's legal. The only place in L.A. County which is legal to live on the streets. So Venice has historically been this great place for the homeless. And I actually think that there's actually something kind of beautiful about that, but it does, it can be hard for business owners and for residents, right? So constantly people were on this like neighborhood websites or neighborhood chat groups and focus, uh, Facebook groups and whatnot, you know, next door and Facebook groups and the, and people would be like, Hey, uh, I live on Dell and, uh, someone just broke into my yard and da, 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 da. And I just want to let you guys know. I, I'm a business owner on Pacific and someone just broke my front window and uh, the police are on the way. Just want to keep you. It was a white male shirtless. And it was always like responded with like, oh, thank you for letting us know. Um, the police have been alerted. They say their response time will be six minutes. I'm staying on the scene and let's contact the authorities. The other day, my wife and I are on this Facebook group for our neighborhood. And now I don't live in Austin. I live out in a cut in a very, very small town. Let me put it in perspective. The gas station next to my house sells bait and ammo. Like I live in the country, okay? There was this Facebook group thing and my wife saw that there was a guy guy talking to himself, wandering around the neighborhood, and he was at, had actually gotten into this guy's house. He went, came on his property. And all the comments below were, oh, I just got a new 38. I'd love for him to come onto my fucking property. I'll put a bullet right between his head. Next comment, yeah, he better not come onto my fucking property. I'll have a 2829 on Adrian Way. I'll just make sure that he doesn't, he's not coming on anybody else's. I'll bury him right here. Every, there was zero, like, fear-mongering, someone needs to take care of this neighborhood, someone needs to do something, we need to call Gavin Newsom and give him more money so that we can get these people off the streets, the sanctimony, they were like, oh, well, thank you for letting me know, Uh, I'll put an extra magazine in and he better not come on here, and by the way, if I see him going on your property, I'll shoot him too, (laughs) everyone, everyone takes care of themselves, one of my um, goats got out, I called one dude who's a neighbor who I happen to have his phone. I was like, hey, man, my black baby goat, uh, Richard, he got out. I think he escaped. I can't find him. And he's saying, uh, no problem. Thank you. Uh, I will absolutely keep my eye out. Ten minutes later, I get a call from a different neighbor who I didn't have 
her phone number, and she said, we're on our way back from Cedar Park so uh, we can get our bloodhounds out and go for a walk looking for Richard. And then another neighbor called my wife saying that they were taking her goats out and she was going to walk them in a pack so that the goat might feel comfortable and come out of wherever he might be hiding. People take care of each other here. There's a definite sense of community and like you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours is a very real thing. And I may be infantilizing it a bit. I may be aggrandizing it because I am such a city slicker, but it's real and I've experienced it. This idea of like, there's no need for us to sign a contract. I saw that you were in need and I'm here to help. I happen to be a plumber. I, there's no need for me to call the cops. I have a gun. You do too. You see someone messing with my kid, you know what to do. If I see someone messing with your kid, you I, I know what to do. There's a very good tribal uh, uh, sensibility about it, and that is awesome. And that was my long-winded way of answering that question. Uh, whose movies were better? Oh, this is a good one from Trey Things. Hi, Trey. Whose movies were better, Stallone or Van Damme? Also, in case you were wondering, I did end up proposing to my girlfriend, and we're getting married October 19th, 2024. Congratulations. That's awesome. For those of you who don't know, he asked me whether or not he should propose. Or not, not he said, how did you know it was right to propose when you proposed your wife? And I gave him some So he did it, and looks, uh, congratulations. This is not open for debate. Stallone's movies, maybe not all, but overall, the performances that Stallone has compared to the performance of Van Damme has, it's not even competition. Sylvester Stallone's movie. The f First Blood, I think people, because of Rambo 2, 3, and the later one, where it became just a, a gore fest. It looked like those uh, those propaganda movies for the Nazis at the end of uh, Inglorious Bastards. That, I mean, that's how bad those Rambo movies got. Where it was just like, ah, and he's just shooting. But First Blood with Brian Dennehy and Stallone is a beautiful movie. And he he puts in a, a bravura performance of a man who is getting back from Vietnam and no one wants to tolerate it. And all he did was give to his country and he doesn't know what to do. And he feels ostracized and he feels embarrassed and he feels sad and he feels scared. It's a fucking amazing movie. Rocky, lest, lest we forget, he gave an Oscar-worthy performance in Rocky and wrote the fucking thing. Sylvester Stallone and Copland, he's a very, very good actor. Sylvester Stallone's a very good actor. He has had some silly movies and silly performances, and we see the uh, the uh, Expendables, and it's like kind of kooky. You lose sight of the fact that he's an amazingly talented actor. Jean-Claude Van Damme, on the other hand, his movies were fucking insane. I love Kickboxer. I love Bloodsport. But okay, USA is fucking crazy. It's crazy. It's preposterous. It only existed in the 80s. Now, I will say that. Overall, Stallone's better. There is a faux documentary movie called JCVD. I don't know if more people should be aware of this. It's not a real documentary in that it is fiction, but it is based on the real life of Jean-Claude Van Damme. And it probably came out 10, 15 years ago. It was an independent film. And he gives a monologue at the end of this movie that is real life from his real world life experience of him abusing women. He didn't, I don't think he ever hit women, but he abused them emotionally. He had divorces. He cheated on all his wives. He did cocaine and was abusive on set. And he has this opening up of his soul. And he's fucking crying talking into the camera and it's it's magnificent it's daniel day lewis i'm not kidding i know this sounds great it's christian bale daniel day lewis level acting but his movies overall are fucking shit but i like more so than even arnold jean-claude van damme on screen motivated me to work out more than anyone more than Arnold, more than Stallone. When I would see him in like the the fight training scenes for 
for uh, in kickboxer and blood sport and shit and he's doing those splits and he's doing like pull-ups on trees and stuff and he's just shredded and he's beautiful he's beautiful by the way uh i was like i want to do that i want to do that i want to be but i want to be buff <laughs> but let but let's not kid ourselves now the better question will be whose movies were better arnold's or Stallone's? because arnold has a lot of shit Arnold has a lot of laughable shit, but you go back and watch Predator now, the original Predator. Go back and watch Total Recall. Go back and watch uh, The Running Man, okay? Don't look at Arnold as just like, like Commando's shit and insane. I love it, but it's insane. He's a knock, knock, and, and uh, I had to let him go. He has the dude over a cliff, and then he comes back to the car after dropping him. Off a cliff. Radon Chong is waiting in the car, which he's ripped the front seat out of. It's like a Carmen Ghia. He pulls that shit out so that he can fit in the car. And Radon Chong, scared out of her mind, is waiting in the car. He goes, he goes, what happened to him? He goes, I had to let him go. I'm like, fuck off. But it's still, but the original Predator is so good and he's so good. You have no con. People don't understand. There's never been another movie that seamlessly blended numerous genres. You forget. You watch the original Predator if you've not, you're not already familiar with it. The first thirty minutes of the movie, you have no concept that there's anything science fiction or 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 or. Uh, supernatural going on it's just a bunch of badass military like a like a like a special ops team that's going down to south america to fuck dudes up that's all you know that there's a prisoner of war down there he's getting together a group of like five dudes and they're gonna go fuck people up they get in the helicopter jesse ventura's talking tough and and shane black's telling bad dad jokes and they're in the and they have all their weaponry and they go down there and they start fucking dudes up and then they get the prisoner and then they're they're gonna get out well little do they know there's an invisible alien that starts murking them and the movie seamlessly switches into a horror film where they, there's this invisible thing stalking them and the music changes and everything. Then it seamlessly switches into a sci-fi film once you identify that it's an alien from another planet whose whole purpose is collecting spines. Whoa. And Arnold's the only man left standing. And he has to outthink this invisible, heat-smelling, heat-seeking fucking predator. It's amazing. Total Recall, amazing. Philip K. Dick novel, okay? The Running Man, on the other hand, is goofy but amazing. But I do have to knock The Running Man. For those of you familiar with Mikey Likes You, you will know right where I'm going with this. Because there's never been a bigger example of cocaine than the goddamn writing on The Running Man. There's levels in the game. Right in the game of the running man, there's different levels and different bosses for each level, like a video game. There's one level that's uh, Arctic and it's like a big hockey rink and it's frozen. And the boss on there is Sub Zero. Arnold kills his ass and then looks at the camera and he goes, Sub Zero, now plane zero. And I'm an idiot and I go, wait, that's more. That's a bigger number than sub-zero. Sub-zero means less than zero. It's below zero. You're talking shit by saying now you're plain zero. You've added value to the dead man. And no, I, I don't expect Arnold to be like, oh, wait, this doesn't make sense mathematically. But you're... There was no one in the writing room. There was no cameraman. There was no gaffer that was like, wait a second. Hey, guys, guys, uh... This one doesn't work. I'm so mad. Thank you. I'm going to tell you a gym story. Got me thinking about all these people. So I am at Gold Gym in Venice. I've already told you 
Ronnie Coleman curling the weight that I used for max out with. Here's another gym story for you. I need an intro for these when I break into gym stories. Yeah, these are swole stories about being swole. So I'm in Golds in Venice. It's probably like 10 years ago. And Arnold's there. Now, Arnold's always at Gold's Gym in Venice. Like, you know, very frequently. It's his, like, home gym. So it's never not cool when you see Arnold, especially at a gym. But it wasn't that shocking. But for those of you who have never seen or been to Gold's Gym in Venice, it's a big place. And then in the back, there's a whole outdoor area to work out. So I'm inside and I see Arnold and he's doing, ah, hello, it's great. Yeah, nice to meet you. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I go out back to go do some like pull-ups or something and Jean-Claude Van Damme's back there. I'm like, oh, fuck. Hey, Jean-Claude Van Damme. So I'm like, when do they see each other and what happens when they do? So I'm kind of like periphery, right? Following Jean-Claude Van Damme. And sure enough, Arnold walks out. And John Clive and them Arnold, hey, it's Arnold, how are you? It's JCV. Oh, that's great to see you. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And they and they kind of hug and embrace. And then they have like a conversation for 15 minutes. And I'm like, man, that's so cool. Six-year-old Mike is just ripping through his jeans with his boner right now. Because fucking Arnold and John Claude Van Damme are talking. And jokingly, I say to this dude next to me, it could very well have been Aaron Alexander. My, my guest from last year. I was like, can you imagine like if Stallone just showed up? I know this sounds great. So t- 15 minutes later, I'm back inside and I see Frank Stallone. Now, Frank Stallone works out every day at Gold's Gym. He's in great shape. He's Stallone's brother. He's an actor in his own right and actually a pretty damn good musician. Uh, I, I see Frank and I'm like, oh, dude. It's not as good, but Frank's here. That. And fucking Sylvester comes in. And I'm like, oh, no way. No way. And sure enough, I'm like, this is, this is going to happen. It's like, it's like if, if, if Cindy Crawford, young Cindy Crawford and Marilyn Monroe and, and Kim Kardashian all touched clits. Like, it's just like the, the, the triumvirate of, like, poon, right? Like, of generational poon. I'm just waiting. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle this shit. And sure enough, Stallone starts walking in. Really nice guy in person. Like, Sylvester Stallone is really nice. And very, very, like, charismatic, as is Arnold's, like, insanely. But, you know, he, he has no problem, even though he's a big celebrity, like, kind of walking it and being, like, very visible, and he's like, oh, this is a great scene. Hey, look what the cat drags in. And Arnold and John Glavine were like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Look at that. It's fantastic. And, of course, the manager of the gym comes over so they can take pictures. And they put arms around each other. And I'm like, oh, I might pass out. I might pass out. But that was it. That was when I knew. That was when I hit, like, veiny, swole, pinnacle. It couldn't get. It. I guess maybe if like the rock showed up, if the rock showed up, I I think my dick would blow up. Like a, if you put a sausage in the microwave for too long, you know, it just goes. The casing just goes. Gosh. But as soon as as soon as Arnold and 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 Sylvester Stallone embrace and and JCVD was like waiting in the side, like when this is my turn, I was like, this is it. This is so good. But if Dwayne The Rock Johnson came in, he's like, it doesn't matter. I'd be like, that's it. Boom. Just my dick will blow up. Thank you. All right. What are some good exercises with dumbbells since all I have? To strengthen my hamstrings. Uh, from C- Cal State University Fullerton Blacksmith. <coughs> One-legged and two-legged Romanian and straight leg deadlifts. Also, if you could work in the Anderson Curl which uh, Ben Patrick from Astagrass has popularized, which is just a straight leg deadlift where you round your back and get even deeper. But um, these are great exercises. They put your hamstring in the lengthened position. Now, what do you want to combine that with? Dumbbell hamstring curls. A lot of people don't do these because a lot of people don't think about them. You put the dumbbell in between your toes like you would. Imagine if these are your feet. You put the bar of the dumbbell up here, like you were going to 
uh, sip water. Do that with your feet. Arch your feet and lie on your on your chest or on your stomach and then curl it up. It's actually a great, great hamstring exercise. Also, um, if you can find something to tuck your legs under that's stable, you can do the Nordic curls, which are awesome. They take some they take some gusto and you gotta build up to them, but those are fantastic. All right. That made for a great show, I think. Thank you, Giorgio, once again. Thank you to all my patrons. If you're interested in my services, check out my Patreon. I will put the show, uh, the links in the show notes below. Thank you to First Detachment, the greatest health and fitness supplements on the planet. And thank you to Bet Online. And as always, thank you, most importantly, to you, the viewers and listeners who make this a reality in this crazy mixed-up world that makes you think that nobody cares. I do. Be good. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.